This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Talk line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Here's your host. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. Rabbi Daniel Big Lassie joins us just the other night. He's the city of New York and he's a writer. He's lecturer, very popular, and we're glad that he joined us again. He is the one of Kahimas, the famous Mordechai in Sidamers. And we're glad to say good welcome, I should say, this is Tisha Bob, so I know that's what we're going to be but we appreciate the big benefits. So, um, first of all, thank you for joining us. Yeah, um, thank you for the opportunity to uh, be with you on this uh, this evening, which is uh, unfortunately... The uh, the night of misfortune for the Jewish people. And you've written a book called Darkness and Dawn, dealing with Tisha B'av and dealing with some of the things we should be thinking about. So what goes through your mind? What should we focus on? Because this is a different kind of Tisha B'av. There's even a debate. Should we be commemorating? Should we be fasting? Because it was pushed off from the ninth mm. of Av, which was on Shabbos. Obviously, we are fasting. It's a little different. So let's look at some of the things we should be focusing on on this day. Well, uh, obviously, first and foremost, the main subject of the Kinnos is the uh, destruction of the temple, the Chorban Beis HaMikdash. And that's the root of all Jewish tragedy. <clears throat> um, but on a personal level, like uh, we wrote about a lot in the book, um, my family comes from Holocaust survivors, most notably my grandfather, blessed memory, who passed away only a year ago at 106 years old. And he was a survivor of all the dark places. He was in Dachau. He was in Auschwitz. He was in Radom. And uh, the stories of his, of the suffering that he went through and his miraculous survival are really a great source of inspiration. Um, after the war, he was interviewed by the secular media, and, and they asked him, Rabbi, you witnessed the brutality of your brothers and sisters in Germany. You saw the destruction of your people, millions of Jews. You saw the skeletons strewn about in the Warsaw Ghetto. Rabbi, tell us the truth. At any point, did you lose uh, faith in your God? Did you lose faith in the promises of the Torah? And my grandfather said, did I lose faith? Of course I lost faith. I lost faith in, faith in man. How could the United States of America turn the other way and make believe they didn't know what was happening in Auschwitz and in the camps? They bombed around the camps, but they didn't bomb the camps itself. How could England not try to help out the Jewish people, take up the cause of human suffering? How could a civilized society like Germany just shed their... Conscience, conscious and become barbarian. So did I lose faith? My grandfather said, yes, sure, I lost faith. I lost faith in man, but not even for a moment did I lose faith in my God and in the Torah. My faith in God only became stronger. So who could even imagine the deep-seated faith of these uh, holy tzaddikim? Um, at what point in time, my grandfather and he was together with his brother in the camps. His brother's name was uh, Yaakov Hainach, and they smuggled in a pair of tefillin into the camps. And they would wake up every morning at the crack of dawn to put on the pair of tefillin, first my grandfather and then his brother. And one particular morning, my grandfather put on the shalyad and the shalrosh. And if they would have been caught, that 
that camp had a particularly brutal lagerfuhrer named Ficus. If Ficus would have caught them, he would have shot them on the spot. And my grandfather took off the tefillin and he gave it to his brother and his brother Yaakov Henoch, he put on the tefillin shel Yad and then he puts on the tefillin shel Rosh. And just then, Ficus barges in. He sees he sees this Jew putting on the tefillin and he picked up the gun to shoot, but then he sees that this tzaddik is wearing the tefillin shel Rosh. And he was so awestruck and overcome in fear, he put the gun down and he ran out. And my grandfather said it was an open miracle. That's what the Gemara teaches us. That when the nations of the world see the name of God is upon you, and they, they fear you, this refers to the tefillin of the head. So even though this was the darkest of times, nevertheless, there was a certain raw, divine revelation that was also present. So this is similar to at the time of the destruction of the temple, where even though God was hidden, nevertheless, if you were to go into the temple then and pull the curtain of the Parochas and see the Kruvim, they were embracing each other, which indicated that at the same time that God was hidden, his love for the Jewish people was also very revealed and manifest. One time, my grandfather was waiting online to the gas chamber, and they uh, they threw him in. And uh, at the last second, they took my grandfather, they, the Nazi stuck his hand in, pulled him out by his hair. He said, you know what? You're young. You could work. And he he pulled him out. And, you know, people say, where was God? But for our family, God was there at the threshold of death. And he pulled my grandfather out. And I always think it wasn't only my grandfather that God yanked out of the gas chamber, but it was my father and it was me. It was my children. Hashem, uh, he saved us. I guess he wanted us. And every Jew who is sitting on the floor of this Tisha B'Av has to think, you know what? If I'm still around and I'm still kicking, then God wanted me. He selected me. You know, the uh, Jewish history has been a selection process. 80% of the Jewish people perished in Egypt. But your ancestors must have made it through if you're if you're alive today. And the death toll in times of the first base Hamikdash was enormous. Times of the second temple was 1.1 million Jews. In the year 1390 in Spain, hundreds of thousands were forcibly converted. Inquisition, Chalmanitsky pogroms. So if you're still alive, that means God has selected you and he wants you. And he wants you to take the Jewish people to the finish line. He has selected you for a very great and grand purpose, and that is to bring the redemption. What you're, so, what you're stressing over here and what you're speaking about, by the way, is so important because despite the fact that it's such a sad day, it's also a day of, of tremendous hope in there, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's a day of know. tremendous hope, and uh, it's something which... Uh, we want to focus on the fact that it is, you know, a day of, of, of hope. So, so go ahead, Rabbi Gladstein. Yeah, so it's a, we have this interesting custom, you know, that uh, midday at Chatzos tomorrow, we pick ourselves up from the floor and we get up. And it's interesting. Here it is on the day of mourning itself, where we've been leading up to this for three weeks. 
and we had nine days, and we had the week of Tishabav, and on the day of mourning, where the the Paiskim tell us it's like someone standing there with the with the re- dead relative in front of you, and here it is. We just get off the floor in the middle of the day. We we dust ourselves off, we brush ourselves off, and we get up. And that's also a very telling message that, you know, the Jewish people, we, we don't stay on the floor and we don't feel sorry for ourselves and we have to roll up our sleeves on the day of Tisha B'Av itself and think, what could we do to build for the future? Because uh, we don't wally, wallow in self-pity. And that's a very important message of, uh, you know, even in post-Holocaust era, we can't memorialize the, the, the uh, Kedoshim forever. Yes, their memory is sacred and sanctified. By the way, my grandfather, when he was in Auschwitz, the first thing he he saw there where they were taking the old people to be gassed and they were crying. They were saying, you know, who's going to say Kaddish for us? And my grandfather accepted upon himself that if he were to survive, he would say Kaddish for these survivors. And he said Kaddish for the survivors for 70 years. But still, our focus is not on those who are who perished, our focus is on building for the future. That's the, uh, you know, when, when Noah came out of the Teva, so the first thing he did was he planted wine, grapes, and he was criticized because he should have planted grain. You know, what's, what's wrong with planting wine? You know, our sages teach us, you give wine to the brokenhearted. But Rav Simcha Wasserman explains that Noach is coming out of the Teva. The world was destroyed. There's no time to wallow in self-pity and drink, sip the wine of consolation. You got to plant grain and build for the future. And that's the focus of Tisha B'av. What can we do to rebuild, to resuscitate, to resurrect the Jewish people? What, how can we contribute to the furtherance of Jewish education, the furtherance of Jewish values, to, to build Jewish institutions and... Bring the redemption closer. That's the focus of Tisha B'Av. We're speaking to Rabbi Daniel Glotstein. Uh, he's written a fascinating book dealing with this whole concept of Tisha B'Av and uh, uh, something which is so appropriate for today as we commemorate the standard Jewish holiday. It's called Darkness and Dawn is his book. We're going to be right back. And right after these messages, you're listening to TalkLine Network over WSNR, 6.20 a.m., WJPR, 16.40 a.m., and WVIP, 93.5 FM. That's every Saturday night from 11 p.m. till 12 midnight here on the talk line network, WSNR, 6.20 a.m., WVIP, 93.5 FM, HD2. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner with speaking Rabbi Daniel J. Glotstein. He's the Rav of Kehillus to Ferris Mordechai. His new book is called Darkness and Dawn. We're looking at Tisha B'Av. Rabbi Glotstein, in your book, you write about the three Rebbe's of war, the Warsaw Ghetto. Let's focus on that as well. Yeah, that was uh, one of the most harrowing situations in uh, recent Jewish history where they got word from the uh, Vatican that they could be saved, that their lives could be saved. Um, But they had to make the decision within 24 hours that they would uh, sort of abandon their people. And uh, these great rabbis, 
Ramanachem Zemba, who, by the way, my grandfather was his personal lookout for during the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Ramanachem Zemba and um, two other great rabbis, uh, of David Kahana Shapiro, and uh, they convened a court case what to do under these circumstances. Because on the one hand, you know, Jewish life is uh, has supremacy and is of paramount importance. And on the other hand, uh, they were abandoning their people in their time of need. And it's interesting, the youngest member of this uh, court case, Rev. David Kahana Shapiro, he, he got up and he said, how can we abandon our people in time of need? You know, if... if uh, do, could we run away from God? The same God that's here in the camp is uh, going to be out of the camp, and there's we cannot we cannot abandon our people. We're we're shepherds, and we need to be loyal to them. And uh, after he issued that halachic ruling, the other two rabbanim did not even open up their mouth. They said, "There's nothing more we can say," and that was the conclusion. Conclusion was that they needed to stay in the camp and remain with the people. The other rub was of Shimshin Stockhammer. My grandfather knew all of them, and uh, once that ruling was issued, uh, that was that was the that was the conclusion. And it's interesting. I once uh, spoke about this with Rabbi Yochanan Zon, the head of the Chevra Kadisha here in America, and he expressed uh, amazement that these rabbanim had uh, the dedication and loyalty to their people to stay there. And he said that a story that I said over about my grandfather really gave him insight into why these Chachamim felt they needed to stay with the people. In other words, what possible encouragement and chizok and strength could these Rabbonim offer uh, the, their their followers at this time? They couldn't give them food. They Their fate was a foregone conclusion. But my grandfather wrote an article about how in the camps, in dep- deprivation and starvation, these Chachamim would speak in learning. They would discuss Torah subjects with the people. And that really breathed life into them. And it gave them hope. And it elevated them. It helped them transcend the terrible suffering they were going through. And my grandfather ultimately did survive uh, the Warsaw Ghetto, amazingly. And it was these Chachamim and the Amuna that they imbued in the people, just merely con- discussing words of Torah that breathe life into the people. Like David HaMelech says that that in the days of affliction and deprivation, the discussion of words of Torah really breathed life into, into them. So this was a, really a very difficult saga in Jewish history. My own great-grandfather was the last Rav of the city of Sachachov. And he also was given the opportunity, and he was taken to the Warsaw Ghetto, and he was given the opportunity to save his life. The Aguda in America uh, offered him a position to be chief rabbi of America for the first time that they would carve out this position. Well, they had he a chief no, rabbi. I, and a, oh, that was a chief rabbi of New York. New York, yeah. They were going to make America. up some kind of position to save his life. And uh, he refused it. He said, as a rub of the community, he cannot abandon the people in their time of need. And he was killed al Kiddush Hashem in the Warsaw Ghetto. And, uh, you know, many, many 
great gedolim did save their lives and were able to rebuild their chasidos, either in America or, or in, in Eretz Yisrael. But many, many great people uh, died al-Kiddush Hashem, not abandoning uh, their their followers, their talmidim, their their uh, communities in their time of need. Now, there were, I don't believe there were a lot of survivors of the war, Sagetto, so how did your grandfather survive? I don't know the details of his survival from the Warsaw. Not only was he, he was in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, and he was from a very, very, very a few select number of people who survived. Um, he had a friend, George Topaz. He had a friend, Meyer Lachman. He had, um, I have, I have a bunch of the books of, of different people who survived. Um, but I don't know the details of his survival of the Warsaw Ghetto. It was certainly with great miracles and with great divine providence and great siyata d'shmaya. Um, but he was in death, mar- de- death marches, and he writes about how everyone around him just dropped like flies, and people people ran to the Nazis that they should just be shot and 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 be be, be finished with it. I mean, actually, when he was liberated, um, the American general, Henning Linden, uh, offered my grandfather his gun. And he said, you know, because when the Americans were coming and they bombed the railroad tracks, right before liberation, the Nazis, uh, instead of trying to win the war, they dedicated all their resources to kill as many Jews as possible. So they, they packed them like cows onto the cattle cars. And my grandfather included, they were headed to the Tyrol Mountains where they were going to be shot to dig their own grave. And when the Americans bombed the railroad tracks, so the Nazis quickly took off their uniforms and put on the Jewish inmates' uniforms. And when the Americans came, they weren't duped by their scheme because the Nazis were fat pigs. And the uh, Jewish inmates, they were were walking cadavers. And the American general, Henning Linden, offered my grandfather his gun. And he said, Rabbi, you're liberated. Here's my gun. Take revenge against the enemy. And my grandfather said, revenge? I leave revenge to the Almighty. It's been five years since I've been able to open up my Talmud Bavli. I was in the middle of learning Masechta Baba Basra. And now that I'm liberated, I could be reunited with my Gemara. That's my freedom. And I leave revenge to the Almighty. So who could who could even imagine the soaring spirit and character and personality of these holy survivors? You know, it was uh, with great miracles. You know, Rabbi Yaakov Emden writes that in his mind, the miracle of Jewish survival far surpasses the miracles of the exodus of Egypt. You know, people say, oh, if only I would see a miracle, then I would believe in God. If only I would see the splitting of the sea, then I would believe in God. But the truth is that the miracle of Jewish survival is the greatest miracle in the history of the world. And oh, if we could suggest then that if we have a Yom Tif of Pesach to commemorate the Exodus, and we have a Yom Tif of Sukkot to commemorate the clouds of glory, then in a certain sense, we know that Tisha B'Av is a moyed, and many struggle to try to understand what kind of moyed is Tisha B'Av. But we could suggest that the Yom Tif of Tisha B'Av is a celebration of the eternity 
and the uh, miracle of Jewish survival. And, and, and in that sense, it's a very great Yom Tov. Now, I did want to ask you about one of one of my favorite Bunim, and I think he accomplished so much, and I, I wish more would be spoken about him. I'm speaking about the Pundit Shavrav. I'm talking about uh, Rav Kahaneman, a blessed memory, who also was a, survive, was a survivor. Uh, he built up a Yiddishkeit uh, in Eretz Yisrael uh, with the Pundit Shiva. So let's reflect on him. Well, yeah, he was certainly an amazing personality. And actually, he did not. He, although his entire family was killed in the Holocaust, yeah, he, he wasn't. Per- he wasn't. He he was fundraising, I believe. He what- wasn't there. He wasn't there. And in fact, at his burial, Rav Shmuel Rozovsky, the next Rashiva Panovich, said that all the accomplishments of the Panovich Arav were was because he all it always plagued him that he wasn't together with his community at, in their time of need. Um, that he yeah. saved his own skin, but he wasn't able to save his community. And all of his efforts of rebuilding Tyra was in order to sort of uh, to to overcome these, the gnawing feeling that he wasn't together with his people in their time of need. But Rabbi Kahneman accomplished ma- amazing things for the Jewish people. In fact, uh, he had a practice that Right before he finished one project, he would always begin the next project. He was once asked, you know, maybe you finish, wait till you finish a project, maybe take a breather, and then you'll you'll think about when you're you'll start the next project. And he would say that a very interesting idea that when a person finishes a project, so then heaven looks down and they they assess, okay, you're done. Does the world still need you? So Rav Kahneman would say he always wanted to be in the middle of a project. He didn't want to have to be assessed from heaven whether the world still needs him or not. So he always said it's a good idea that before you finish one project, always start the next one. Did he call himself the last literature of? He... Possibly, I'm not familiar. I think you, you write that in your book. That's why I was wondering. Yeah, okay. You know, uh, somebody once told me, I once, uh, there, was a, there was a great Rav, uh, Rabbi Shlomo Warman. He was Rashiva of Hebrew Academy of Nassau County. He was the Talmud of Laser so he, he would say, if he would remember everything in his books, he would be a big Talmud Chacham, you know? <laughs> no, because I, I just thought it was interesting that he, yeah. he viewed yeah. himself in that way. Listen, he accomplished quite a bit, and he was driven, and he was tremendous in what he did. Um, and he re- built an institution in Eretz Yisrael, transformative. So uh, certainly uh, he deserves a lot of credit. You know, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Uh, Rabbi Wine writes in his book that... Um, Rav Kahneman used to come to Miami Beach and Rabbi Wine used to take him fundraising. And one time Rav Kahneman said, uh, get me, I need uh, I need 20 young couples. So Rabbi Wine said, it's not a good idea. You know, young couples, it's impossible to get them out on a weeknight and they don't give a lot of money. Rav Kahneman said, just, just do what I tell you. So Rabbi Wine got these couples together and he, Rabbi Wine figured he's going to hit them up for, for the yeshiva. And he says, he said, there are 1.5 million Jewish children killed in the Holocaust. Their souls are floating in the air now. They don't have a body to go into. Do us a favor. Do the Jewish people a favor. Give some bodies for these children who are killed in the Holocaust. And Rabbi Wein said that that year in his kahila, a bumper crop of babies were born due to Rev Kahaneman's, you know, 
uh, encouragement. And he said, what a brilliant man, how he was able to, you know, get get the best out of people and put things in a certain light that nobody else would portray in that way. I thought you were going to refer to the fact we had Soryo Hevard Riglon the other week, which wrote a book about Holocaust neshamas, souls of the Holocaust were reincarnated right after the war um, in, in Jewish bodies, especially including non-Jewish bodies. So I thought that you're maybe the reference to that, but he was also a way to popularly get more Jews in the world. He had a uh, ulterior motive too. You write in your book, by the way, Rav Kahneman had testified that he was the sole surviving Lithuanian Rav. Right, he said, right, right. Now you're reminding me that he's the last, uh, last Rav from Lita. Yeah, but uh, but he's, like I said, he he brought about a whole new generation of new Rabbanim. Our guest is Rabbi Daniel J. Glassin, Congregation Kehilas Teferis Mordechai. His fascinating book is called Darkness and Dawn. You're listening to Talk Line with Deb Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. We're our special Tisha Buff program. Our guest is Rabbi Daniel J. Glassine, the Rav of Kehilas, Deferis Mordechai, his Wonderful book, which I suggest you get. It's called Darkness and Dawn. You can read it even beyond Tisha B'Av. Even though focus on Tisha B'Av glasses, but there are other things that we could lean from to be helpful throughout the year. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Thank you. Now, one of the, and I, we only have a limited amount of time left, so let me ask Rabbi Glatstein that one of the figures that I think was most impressive that came out of the Holocaust was the Klosenberger Rebbe, such a powerful figure who had a tremendous influence. Um, and you write about him in your book, and including with, with Eisenhower. So let's look at the Klosenberger Rebbe. Let's look at also with uh, Eisenhower and the, and the Rebbe. Yeah, so that's right. The Klosenberger Rebbe was... Uh a very spirited individual who his heart pulsated with love, not only for the Jewish people, but really for the land of Israel. And uh, my grandfather was very close with him. My grandfather was Kozimberg Rebbe's um, translator to Eisenhower and Eisenhower's translator to the Kozimberg Rebbe. And when Eisenhower visited the DP camps, the Kozimberg Rebbe addressed Eisenhower and the Jewish people, and he really inspired the people. He said, if you survived, you survived for a reason, to help rebuild the Jewish nation, and uh, you're responsible for the future of the Jewish people. And Eisenhower was shaken to the core, hearing the words of the Rebbe, because the people were weeping when they heard the Klesenberg Rebbe. These are people who the survivors hadn't cried in years. Their, their wellspring of tears had dried up. And Klesenberger really moved the people. Eisenhower was so shaken to the core. He said, holy rabbi, what can I do for you? What can I do for your people? And the rabbi said, well, uh, Sukkot is in four days. Eisenhower came on Yom Kippur. And uh, could you get us Dalad Minim? Could you get us the Lula of Esrug? And Eisenhower committed to get to ship in from Italy the four species for the survivors. And those Dalad Minim came to my grandfather's desk. And I have pictures of my grandfather distributing the Dalad Minim to the survivors in 1945. It's really uh, incredible. And uh, one very important lesson we learned from the life of the Kleisenberger Rebbe is that, you know, he came from a community that did not support the establishment of uh, Eretz Yisrael. And that was their Hashkafa. 
And Kondomareva had a very dramatic change of heart in the, in the aftermath of the Holocaust. You know, he committed himself that if he were to survive, he would build a hospital, which he did in Netanya, Laniato Hospital. And he really changed his attitude toward Eretz Yisrael. In fact, uh, the story goes that he met with um, uh, <laughs> he met with some of the early uh, Zionist leaders, and um, he was once asked, you know, what what does the state of Israel mean to you? And uh, Kleisenberg Rebbe said, well, what it means to me is that I could go out into the street and I could wear my stramel uh, without being attacked, without being uh, fear for my life. That's uh, uh, that's worst case scenario. And he says, so what's the best case scenario? He said to the Zionists, best case scenario is you guys, you're also going to be wearing a stramel. So, uh, you know, he played ball with them and he really had a change of heart. And he would say that before the Klal Yisrael came into Eretz Yisrael, they, they came to uh, the city of Cheshbon. They conquered Cheshbon. And he would say that uh, the Jewish people have to overlook all the different Cheshbonites and calculations they have, why it's not a good time to go to Eretz Yisrael and why they shouldn't be moving there. And uh, what, what, what Hashem wants from us is to stop making these Cheshbonites, stop making these calculations and uh, take the plunge and 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 uh, go to Eretz Yisrael. Uh, you know, it's very interesting. Tomorrow when we say the kinos, the kinos ends with a series of 10 kinos called the Tzion kinos. And when you think about it, these are not really kinos. It's not mourning any tragedy. It's not, it's not bewailing. It's not bemoaning any disasters. It's really just expressing our longing and our love for Eretz Yisrael. So why are they included in the kinos? And the answer is, is because we have to reverse course. We got into this whole mess because the Meraglim came back with a false report about Eretz Yisrael. And we cried, we cried for nothing. We didn't want to go into the land. We don't want to be connected to land. And we disconnected from the land of Israel through tears. And our avoid, our mission, our duty tomorrow is to engender an attachment to the Holy Land and engender a love for Eretz Yisrael and to reconnect to our the land of our destiny. And this is really what the Kleisenbergereva did. I mean, they're very great people who develop outlooks, very rarely change their minds. You know, the Gemara says there's a chazaka, there's a presumptive status. Us, us people always maintain their opinions. People very rarely change their opinions. But the Kozenberg Rebbe was such a great person that he reversed course. He changed his attitude toward Eretz Yisrael, the attitude that he, so to speak, was groomed in or he grew up with or he sort of developed. And because of that Holocaust, he developed a, a new a new attitude toward Eretz Yisrael, which is really what we all have to do through the process of saying Kenos. And if I could just uh, conclude. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, before you, I had I wanted to tell one more story about the chief rabbi of Rome, which I found fascinating in your book. But the yeah. Kleisenberger Rebbe, by the way, um, he his commitment was is that if he survived, he built a hospital in Israel. Mm-hmm. So, I, so his thinking must have changed even during the Holocaust. But I believe his commitment was to build in Eretz Yisrael a hospital. Yes, yeah, that that was a very an amazing uh, amazing neder or personal vow that he took that if he were to survive. He would build uh, a facility to help uh, 
Jewish uh, Jewish patients. Now, in your book, and we have a few moments, I just want you to focus on two more rabbin, and one was the chief rabbi of Rome, and also of Hanan Wasserman. You write inspirational thoughts about Tisha B'Av and also some leading rabbis that went through the Holocaust, which was uh, a, a transformative moment for the Jewish people. And, and as we point out with the Panevich Rav and Klezmer Rebbe, they really brought their tremendous kochos, their powers were able to really rebuild in such a magnificent way in Eretz Yisrael. But let's look at the chief rabbi of Rome, the tragic story, and also uh, regarding Rabbi Khan Wasserman, who you write about. Well, you know, as you mentioned, the chief rabbi Rome uh, did not stay with his people in the time of need, and uh, the community would not countenance him when he wanted to return. So, you know, that's that's a very difficult and a somewhat embarrassing story. But as we bring in the book, it has somewhat of a happy ending that he had a granddaughter who uh, converted back to Judaism, and so. The story has somewhat of a positive ending. And uh, Rebbe Hanan also is one of the great all-time heroes of the Jewish people. He had positions waiting uh, in Tarvadas. Uh, the the Rashiva would step down. They were going to make Rebbe Hanan Rosh Hashiva. And Rebbe Hanan said that a captain does not abandon ship. And Rebbe Hanan not only did not try to save himself, but he went back into the fire in order to be with his students, in order to be with his community, to be with the Jewish people. And even though Rebbe Hanan was killed, but we could say that the success of the the, the yeshiva world and uh, the, the re- resurrection and renaissance of, of Jewish life in the aftermath of the Holocaust is really built on uh, heroes and uh, such as Rebbe Hanan who risked their life to lay the foundation for the future... Uh, building of Torah for for the Jewish people. Rabbi Daniel Glatson, we're appreciative of you being here with you. I know it's Tisha B'Av, it's hard, and we appreciate you giving us some inspirational thoughts and about Tisha B'Av, and uh, I recommend your book, Darkness and Dawn, has lots of interesting information. Thank you, Zev. You're doing a great uh, public service to the Jewish people in promoting uh, ideas of Torah and Judaism and uh, Jewish life, and Maybe you can continue to be able to do that in uh, happy and good circumstances for many years. No, we appreciate you being with us. And again, Rabbi Glassi is the Rabbi of Kehillah's Teferis Mordechai in Brooklyn. The book is called Darkness and Dawn. Uh, it's available at Swarm Store. They can buy it online as well. Thank you. I thank you for being here with us. Rabbi Daniel Jay Glasser here on the talk line. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.